Welcome to the Equipping You podcast, where our mission is to equip Alliance pastors and leaders to live spiritually healthy lives and lead healthy churches. Equipping You is a ministry of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org. Hey, 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 welcome back to Equipping You Podcast. This is another special episode. Love the uh, love the ticker, the news ticker there, Alan. Great happy, job. Happy to help, man. That's how I support you, man. We are coming to you today from the great state of Ohio. Birthplace, this is going to be shocking to you, Alan. Mm, I bet it is. It always is, Terry. Birthplace of Thomas Edison. Really? That's shocking. It is shocking. I didn't know that. He was and born, enlightening. He was born in what looks like Milan, Ohio, like wow. in Italy, but maybe they, maybe in Ohio it's Milan. Who knows? You know, we pronounce Lima, Lima. So who knows? Yeah, who knows? Up yeah. toward Beulah Beach, anyway, for the Alliance okay. reference point. Absolutely. That is a good reference point. So I'm Terry, Church Ministries Leader for the Alliance. And I'm Alan, Director of Development for the Eastern PA District of the Alliance. And today, Alan, we have a really special privilege to um, chat with Ma- Zach Meerkrebs for a yeah. while. Zach, in the sovereignty of God, was right in the middle of the uh, outpouring or awakening or revival or whatever you want to call it at uh, Asbury University. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm really looking forward to hearing what he has to share and uh, hoping that so, in some way this will stir the fires of revival yes, even our, in our own movement. That. I'm absolutely hoping for that. You know, I, I, I'm just looking forward to having a direct conversation with him about it and uh, seeing what he's learned and what he's observed and uh, want my heart to be open. Um, I was literally just thinking about it this Sunday when I was speaking at a church and saying, Lord, if you want to do something, I want, I want to be open to it and not try to control anything. So it was good. So, grab yourselves a frosty green apple soda. That actually sounds good to me. Mm, kind of does in the middle of the summer. Yeah, so it like does. It sounds good. Summery drink. So, grab yourselves a frosty green apple soda. Sit back, relax. Here we go. So, it's a joy to welcome Zach Meerkrebs to the uh, Equipping You podcast. Zach, woohoo. Thanks for taking some time to be with us today, my friend. Of course. It's good to be with you all. So uh, we like to allow our listeners to get to know our guests. So before we get into the meat of the Asbury story, uh, tell us a bit about your story, how you came to know Jesus, and how you ended up in Alliance Ministry. Yeah. So um, like many... Alliance ministers. I grew up an Orthodox Jew, <laughs> and uh, so grew up an Orthodox Jew. Uh, every male in my family was a rabbi at the time uh, until my dad got in trouble with the law uh, for an immense amount of brokenness that was going on at home, which is part of our story. Um, grew up in a very abusive home, so dad was a rabbi. Got in trouble. Grandpa was a rabbi, and to kind of save face. Our family get moved out to Colorado Springs, which uh, was kind of to get out west away from uh, what was going on in the D.C. area. And Colorado Springs at the time was a very unique place for an Orthodox Jew to grow up <laughs> and uh, through a difficult childhood, but um, one that I'm grateful for 
ended up just uh, going to school with a lot of kids whose parents worked at places like the Alliance headquarters yeah. for mm. compassion or focus on a family. Mm. And I didn't really know any of that, but I just remember getting invited to every youth group fathomable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Don't have a whole lot of those there. And, uh, had my bar mitzvah thinking that everything was going to click at my bar mitzvah, but, uh, I was let down because Jesus and the Holy spirit was not present. Of course. So I turned towards the world. So the first 13 years of my life experienced the brokenness of religion. Hmm. Um, the next about four years, three or four years, I experienced the brokenness of the world, drugs, girls, and the only positive thing in my life, but was still an idol was soccer. And ended up on a soccer team with some specific friends who their parents were working at Alliance headquarters. And they were the, the dads and the sons, Tyler Baldus, Ralph, trainers, boys, Joel and David yeah. were all my soccer team. Great. And when I gave my life to the Lord, got kicked out of my house was, but these amazing Christian families, especially uh, the Balduses really took me and it took care of me. Wow. So I didn't really know anything about denominations. Uh, I just assumed that I would end up with the Alliance cause that's what I knew. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so when I went to college, just thought I was going to be an Alliance missionary. We thought we were going to be missionaries in Israel. We came to Lexington, Kentucky for the home service at a, uh, at a church down here. And then within about two months or two years, those plans changed. And we've been in Lexington primarily in Alliance church work. And in the last about two years, I was with Envision. And then right around, well, because of Asbury, Envision and I had a great conversation about just a unique season, a unique God thing. How can I do both? And, or if I can't do both, uh, how do we do the transition? Well, so transitions in April. So I could just chase after what God's doing through Asbury things while still being rooted at Alliance church, being a reverend and cheering you guys on. And, yeah. Um, we're so, cheering you on too, Boynton, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it means a ton. So I'm really excited to be with you guys. And so currently unemployed, but busier than ever and uh, doing meaningful work. And it just feels like it just got started. It feels like what happened at Asbury for 16 days has enticed campuses and churches and the global church in really powerful ways. So really excited. Yeah. Yeah. So. It was one of our favorite questions to ask all our guests is just to say who have been some key influencers in your life and leadership. So tell us about those people. You know, I think because you guys will know who I'm talking about. One of the most influential people in my life is really my spiritual father, Ken Baldus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ken is a man who understands the secret place, the hidden place of prayer and purity and radical humility, which as we talk about Asbury there's a moment as everything was going on at Asbury. I, I, I really saw so many thematic things of re- revival and awakening were sowed into me by um, a radically humble, pure hearted prayer prioritized man in Ken Baldus. So I love podcasts. I read a lot. I could name other people that I enjoy listening to. But when I think of like a leader who's discipled me that, uniquely this family who's listening to this podcast would know it would be Ken Baldus. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I love to hear stories you know, like that. You know, I remember early on after giving my life to the Lord and it becoming very difficult at home, seeing a chair in Ken's closet mm. because he actually took it serious. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I remember just waking up early for school and hearing him cry out to the Lord in his prayer closet. And that's, I could talk about preaching. I could talk about John Mark Comer and reading his books. And these people that I like have, I follow their podcasts, but I think in those, in the deep places of my heart, Ken would have to be um, probably the most influential yeah. Christian leader in my life. Yeah, that, that man is way more than just a finance uh, money guy. Sure. Uh, he walks with Jesus deeply and is, is a man of God that I highly respect and really appreciate that you sharing that side of him, Zach. And that's why I love yeah. that we asked this question. Like, yeah. I mean, who would have known that except for people that already know him? Yeah. Right. And it's yeah. it's always people that I always love how like quite often we get surprised by who's been influential in people's lives. Yeah. And it lets us all know that we can make a difference in somebody's life. And it's probably bigger than we realize if we actually make the investment. And I love that. That's exactly what you just told us about Ken. That's and great. I really appreciate that. And it's an encouragement, not it's an encouragement to me, uh, to be and invest in people. Yep, yeah, for sure. Praise God. So, Zach, a funny thing happened on February 8th in Wilmore, Kentucky, that the Lord had you right in the middle of. Tell us about that day and tell us what happened. Yeah. So, man, I had I was really blessed to be a part of actually an Alliance event up in Columbus on the 6th and 7th. God really moved with a bunch of youth pastors on the 7th. And I thought I was going to get home at a, at a decent time to finish up my sermon prep for chapel on the next day at Asbury. As a, as I worked at Envision, I just missed pastoring like a local community. So I volunteered at Asbury as a soccer coach. And that was kind of my 40 person church, a bunch of college soccer dudes. And then when they found out what I did, they would ask me to come speak to chapel once in a while. So um, I thought I was going to get home in time to finish my sermon, finish that all up. But God really moved on the, on the seventh up in Columbus so I got home super late, just kind of committed what I had to the Lord, woke up early to go pray at Hughes Auditorium and finished kind of going over my notes, tinkering a little bit and preached a sermon in chapel. They have like lots of Christian colleges, you know, a number of chapels that are required each week. They have three a week and I was just a normal chapel on Wednesday, but the passage I was preaching on was Romans 12 and I had preached the first half of that passage the week before and I was preaching 9 through 21 on the 8th and it was about authentic love you know that passage let our love be without hypocrisy or without blemish and it goes and it lays out 30 uh, requests of how authentic love would look and I had 20 minutes to do that. So I did not get through all 30. Uh, in fact, ran out of time. And, you know, as a, as a preacher, as most of you guys know, like it's not a great feeling to like look at your slides and say like, oh, I have eight more slides. Like I just did not. Like it was just not the best. I, there's hundreds of sermons I've preached that I would much rather have been the one yeah. that has some YouTube views. Yeah. So, but we landed the plane ultimately with, just an invitation, permission to linger. 
And ultimately with the challenge that we can't authentically love one another until we experience the authentic love of God. First John four, right? We love because he first loved us and invited the students to stay and, and experience the love of God and be filled with the spirit so that we can love others. And I remember looking, you know, at my, at, at my calendar and saying, I'll be here till one thirty. I have coffee at one thirty with someone. I'll, I'm here to stay if you want. So like most chapels, everyone left except the worship team, 19 students, the campus pastor, Greg Hasselhoff and I. And I remember 30 minutes goes by, 45 minutes goes by, an hour and a half goes by. And in that time, I had actually texted my wife, hey, latest stinker, like, not great. I'll be home soon. So she's like, most of us know, like, right when you get off stage after you're preaching, it's the most like tender time yeah. where you're like, I wonder if this is any good. So, man, it's kind of ruined any homiletics course I could teach or go to because it's like, it wasn't the best sermon. And I thought it flopped. But people just took us up on the invitation to, to stay. And they stayed 24-7 for 16 days. The first couple of days, people were bringing their mattresses into the chapel. People were hanging out, uh, putting hammocks in the hallway. And the first couple of days, just, you know, 24-7 prayer and worship, confession of public confession of sins, reading of scripture. We'd go hours, just people popping up and reading a passage and then saying, this is the word of God we believe in, that someone else popping up for hours of worship and prayer. I would preach about twice a day, mostly on the topics of, it was pretty much a rhythm of like renewal, consecration, evangelism, renewal, consecration, evangelism. Mm. And then as it kind of sophisticated, uh, a gentleman who's actually attends Alliance Church, but his name's uh, Dr. David Thomas. He would teach on renewal because he spent his whole life studying revivals, the Welsh revivals and other revivals. And then um, my good friend, Jeannie Banter, would preach consecration. And I would do the evangelistic message. And then we would have testimony and scripture reading and confession, long periods of prayer and worship in between. So that went on for 16 days. You know, a very conservative number uh, would be just under 100,000 people came into Wilmore, which is, has two traffic lights, a subway and a coffee shop. <laughs> the subway ran out of food every day around one. And when we started getting police had to close down the highway because the city just couldn't take any more people and the plumbing started breaking. <laughs> uh, it was just wild, but um, the university and local churches rallied to host hundred, you know, tens of thousands of people and um, it's sophisticated to seven locations. He's being kind of the center, but simulcast or, or things like that. So many stories of healing. Um, so many stories we had uh, close to a thousand people make first time commitments to the Lord. Wow. We had about That's 400 beautiful. college students receive a call to the nations, Wow, which we're still trying to connect same amount feeling called uh, to full-time ministry that we're trying to connect mm -hmm. to uh, next steps. But that's a lot of what I'm doing now is because we don't have a sophistication of system. We don't, we don't have like a, even Excel spreadsheets set up for this. Yeah. <laughs> you know? 
So um, it's been beautiful, but it's it really has just gotten started. Mm. I really feel like the 16 days were kind of a flashpoint for something. Yeah. yeah, I love that it's being stewarded. You know, we can leave these things. Wow, that was great. Awesome. See ya. You know, I love that you're committed to stewarding it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was following that, trying to stay close to not make a trip like some of my peers did, but was just, you know, thrilled tune into the live cam, you know, you know, a couple times a day. Thankful for that. And, and, you know, people felt necessary to argue what words to use to describe it, revival or outpouring. But I would like to hear you describe it. You know, what would you say, what words would you use to, to describe this happening of God? Yeah, it's so funny because I'm not a revivalist. I haven't studied these things. I don't, I remember people would come to me and say, this, the 70 revival or the Amberdeens or the, I'm like, I don't even know where the Aberdeens are, you know? <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a missionary and church planner. That's like, I think about unreached people groups and this cultural moment and planting churches to reach people. I don't, I'm a, and I've been kind of convicted of that. Like, this is part of our history too. But so revival, outpouring, renewal, awakening, it was very clear. And this has been just being a, a pastor to people in Wilmore it's clear that the concept of revival is can be an idol because they've it's been like a well of revival they had a 1970 revival that was pretty profound some people would connect the jesus movement to being sparked by this revival in in wilmore it's something similar 90 great awakening man like that's way too weighty for what i can't i'm not going to name it that you know that one of my good friends, the president at Asbury, Dr. Kevin Brown, who also attends the Alliance Church, whoop, whoop. <laughs> he, he gave a really good example, which is kind of where I'm still at, is, you know, practically, usually revivals are called revivals a couple years down the road when we see the fruit of it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, the good. Great Awakening wasn't the Great Awakening when it was happening. Mm. You know, in Cane Ridge, it was just a move of God. And then we call it the Second Great Awakening, you know? Mm, That's good. Um, So, Dr. Kevin Brown talks about, you know, the blind man who was healed in John 9. And how the Pharisees were really trying to kind of squeeze this man so he would confess and Jesus would get in trouble. You know, (laughs) is he the Christ? Did he heal you? And I think a lot of people want us to name it something so they, they can say oh i was there or they can tear it apart you know oh this isn't a revival so we really have tried to stay in the place of in john 9 what the blind beggar said he said look what i know is i was blind and now i can see (laughs) yeah so i don't really know what it's called and to my brothers and sisters in the alliance we don't need to call it anything i'm not trying to call it anything what i know is there was the manifest presence of God, hmm. peace and power, healings, salvations, call to the nations. The nations were coming to it, and it lasted for 16 days, and it's catalyzed lots of things bubbling up and popcorn around the globe. So, hmm. I tried pretty hard not to call it something just like that blind man said, look, this is what I experienced. What I experienced was this, for me, what I experienced was 16 days of 
an accelerated, intensified experience of the Lord. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. I appreciate you. Yeah, I think I, that's, I like, that's good, good wisdom. Good perspective. It yeah, is. it sure is. So people gathered continuously for, you're saying, 16 days. You've hit on this a little bit already, but maybe there's more to this story that you want to tell. Tell us some of the things that typified these gatherings. Yeah, so we normally would start like more programmatic planning around 10 a.m. And that program was just rhythms, loose rhythms of scripture reading, confession, teaching and preaching, worship and prayer. And it was just kind of cyclical. And then we would usually take a dinner break that the, the space would still be open, but we would come back with more programmatic things from about seven to two in the morning. <laughs> and, and that came over time. We kind of sophisticated the leadership team that, that owned that then had subcommittees. There was a room that felt like a war room that was just like, it was wild. At first we were meeting in the storage closet in the chapel with music stands and leftover pianos you know but it's sophisticated <laughs> so those days kind of kind of looked like that uh, if we felt like we need to lean into something more we would go there there was a back room that people were praying non-stop there was this this room you know we trains there was a green room that we pretty quickly felt like we didn't need just a space where the bands and speakers would be able to get away and eat snacks. We needed to, we just, that didn't fit with the DNA of what we had been experiencing. So we turned that concept into what we call the consecration room. So, and this is beautiful. Like a bunch of Gen Z leaders came up with this idea. It wasn't the holiness professor. It was <laughs> Gen Z saying like, Hey, every time someone goes on stage, whether they're playing the box drum or they're preaching, they got to go to the consecration room for 30 minutes. They have to go. And what was wild was we would have people come, you know, we had celebrities come. And when we brought up the consecration room, some of them went to the consecration room and never left. And they realized like they didn't need to get on stage. Some of the people in the consecration, I remember walking in the consecration room and seeing some people like, I'm like, I, I listened to that guy's podcast or <laughs> I remember going to that guy's conference and they don't come to the stage because once they got into the consecration room, they, whether or not it was the Holy Spirit or whatever, they just felt like they needed to stay there, just go back into the room of worship and prayer. Mm, that's beautiful. But that was that was a really huge anchor and almost like an engine for what we saw was uh, we all had to spend time in the consecration room. And there's times that a worship band would be in a consecration room and stay for hours, and we just didn't have a worship band for a while because they weren't ready to come off stage. And we were unapologetic about that. So that's kind of what the days look like. Towards the end, we had to prioritize Hughes Auditorium. We prioritized Hughes Auditorium for anyone under 25 years old, feeling like what the Lord was doing was was so targeted at Gen Z. So we wanted to prioritize their presence in that space. At one point, we stopped staying overnight, um, but we still had 24-hour prayer and worship going on in there. So we'd have live bands leading worship and leading prayer, but we didn't have crowds and views and others. Mm. And then it ended with this event that had been scheduled two and a half years earlier. The uh, national day of college day of prayer was already planned to be there. And it was kind of a God thing to, 
to close and commission from there. Yeah. That's good. I appreciate that. It's nice to get this kind of behind the scenes look at stuff. I love the story about that consecration room. And that is great wisdom from those it students. Is. Man, that is sweet. And to see people go in there and then just not come out because they felt like it's not what God was wanting to do. It's to, to be humble, to change. You know, that's beautiful. Love it. So, you know, you've been obviously right in the thick of it all. So tell us about some specific spiritual impacts that you've seen in the lives of those students. Yeah. So we have sent close, uh, a little over a hundred teams of students around the nations, around the nation, around the globe since, Wow, uh, which is so impactful, right? You know, you have Ava Miller who also goes to Lions church. Hey, Oh, and but <laughs> as a f- freshman and cross country runner at Asbury who went to London and testified at the alpha leadership conference like in grand in like grand albert hall wow you know this is a freshman in college who's testifying to the move of god we have we just had a team in south korea that prayed over north korea on the border of students Mm. we have you know god moved on campuses by sending these messengers right so that's super impactful you know we have students who have felt called to the nations that trying to plug them into experiences to steward that call. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw miraculous things. You know, that's what I love about our families. We believe that the Holy Spirit still moves. And we had a student that was not entirely blind, but was visually impaired and received sight back to a hundred percent. Wow. And, uh, praise and the Lord. Amen to that. One beautiful story was, there was a, a very good basketball player at Asbury and Asbury athletics is fine, but there's not tons of like dominant teams, but this athlete was pretty dominant, and, but had not been walking with the Lord. But during the, the, um, what we experienced, he, um, received Christ and in his head, he had seen so many people praying over people in wheelchairs or different people with ailments um, so 45 minutes after he gave his life to Christ, he started praying over this gentleman with tumors uh, on his face. And after a couple hours, this man had been healed entirely. And this basketball player had known Jesus for, by that time, about three hours. Mm-hmm. So uh, he asked his coach, what do I do now? And his coach said, call Zach. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I still don't exactly know what to do for this guy, but uh, mm-hmm. we saw healing and students who are absolutely rocked by it so Mm. it's been tremendous and there's 37 campuses that experienced similar uh encounters with the lord after teams came and then went back and went in for prayer and lingering and worship so like cedarville and lee university and campuses like that michigan state but we had over over 200 college campuses represented during that time Wow. Grove City, Tacoma Falls, lots of things. So it was really beautiful. And this next generation really led the way in hunger and uh, presence during those days. Mm. Yeah, so we're, what, three or four months out, four or five months out. What do you expect to be the long-term impacts, you know, even over a decade or a generation that, uh, the long-term impacts that come out of this outpouring, awakening. Yeah. 
so you know the hunger around the world is pretty profound and that's one reason why we felt like just Kristen and I my wife and I felt like we needed to reposition just to help steward and cheer on and um, so I think the impact is so up in the air but there's hunger all over the world requests all over the world to come testify and people who are you know we can't prescribe anything because that's not how it works but Mm -hmm. we can describe Mm -hmm. and and maybe that provokes some things that i can describe to you that i think could be impactful long term i think we we really experienced a posture of leadership that is countercultural to how many movements or many churches are led i think we saw a level of I think Gen Z really stated what they needed through what they lingered and leaned into and then how God moved through just this gentle and humble movement. It was, it was analog and simple worship. We didn't have words. The music was not the most sparkly, tremendous. <laughs> and I think that has challenged a lot of worship leaders. You know, I'm not the best preacher in the world by far. And my teammates uh, there were not either, but there was scripture preached and we tried to be as vulnerable and authentic as possible. I think the the celebrity culture has deflated a little bit by what we experienced at Asbury. I think that could be a long-term impact with especially Gen Z of like they've stated what they desire I think it's really confronting some of the ways we did things. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of what I'm experiencing, you know, traveling internationally and domestically is this concept of radical humility, which we talked a lot about during Asbury, that God, God is not super interested in the prayers of the prideful person, but broken people, humble people, you know, that the Pharisee versus the tax collector praying in the temple, mm-hmm. you know, what would it look like for the church, for Christian leaders to lean into brokenness and humility, not permission to be, to be just filleted in front of our people and broken and not pursuing healing, but just being honest, you know, part of Kristen's and I's story was a lot of, I think, preparation for this moment through tremendous amount of suffering a couple of years ago. Yeah. And even the Lord has been talking to me about if we desire new wine and we reverse engineer new wine, what does it require? A crushing of grapes. Mm, Yeah. And what does new oil? So if, if new wine is covenant, right. And oil is anointing. What, what, how do you get olive oil? You press olives Mm -hmm. and the global church has been crushed and pressed through COVID, through this cultural moment. Christian leaders have been crushed and pressed through COVID and cultural tensions and, and just life circumstances. I think if we hold our hearts and minds and souls in a place that we allow God to press and crush in the private places, shout back up, back to Ken, you know, in the private places, he's produced new wine. So then in the public places, we can serve new wine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that requires new wineskins, new ways of doing things. So that's been a lot of things that I've been wrestling with and, and preaching about around the world is what, what does it take to have new wine? 
don't mm-hmm. think we have to argue that we are in a season that we need new wine. Mm-hmm. But I think mm-hmm. we forget what it requires. Yeah. Smushed grapes. Yeah. So. No, that's good. <laughs> yeah. That's good. That's good yeah. stuff. That's good, deeper life stuff there. It is. That is. That's good stuff. So you, you said earlier we can't prescribe it, but we can describe it. I'm wondering, in the midst of that, not prescribing but describing, are there still some lessons that we can learn? You know, you know, why in the world Asbury? Is there anything we can figure out from that? Is there anything we can do that you can't make it happen, but maybe yeah. you know can prepare ourselves for it to happen? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's unique. Asbury seems to be like a well that just gets tapped once in a while mm. through, and I don't know why. You know, Cane Ridge is also in Kentucky, and that was a unique place. But you know, my early on, I was wrestling with this, and you know, I'm an Alliance guy, but the first church I worked at was a Baptist church, so I have like four C's that I'm going to share. You know, <laughs> and uh, the four C's of preparing our hearts, whatever. Because I do think there is something about becoming vessels to receive an outpouring, right? It's like, if God's going to pour out his spirit, but it's going to absolutely shatter us, then he's He's not going to pour it out because he's a good father. He cares about us. But if he's created robust, durable vessels in our souls as individuals, robust, durable, pressed vessels in our churches and our organization, we will be able to carry it. So. In Asbury, what I see is, uh, first, a contending community. Mm-hmm. Like a contending community, there's people in that city who saw God move before, longing for it to move again. Mm-hmm. And it is a university and a, and a little town that contends for a move of God. Mm-hmm. Like a next-level prayer, contending, travailing, crying out community that contend so the first c is contend the second one is consecration it is in a time where christian universities have to wrestle with so much christian university athletics have to wrestle with so much chaplain chapel what are you going to speak on what do you stand on certain things they've stated they've stayed and leaned into consecration Mm. you know you look at the stage at asbury it's a big organ and then across the organ, in big, bold words, it says, holiness unto the Lord. Oh. Mm-hmm. And you'd think that we would need a much cooler space with better terminology, but <laughs> holiness unto the Lord, yeah. consecration, yeah. you know, how we mm-hmm. carry ourselves mm-hmm. matters. So contending, uh, consecration, and the third one, I said Christ-focused. I think God... Uh, the Holy Spirit has come to exalt the Son, not to exalt Himself. Even though He is God, He came to make Jesus clear, right? A movement of the Holy Spirit, the mm-hmm. charismatic, the things point to the, to Jesus. Yep, amen. And, amen. And I think, especially in revivalists, like even in the 16 days, I met some 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 people, you know, who were, who were longing for some really, like, power encounters with the Holy Spirit. And we really did. We, we saw people receive sight, heal from tumors. And, you know, we saw movements of the Holy Spirit, but it was always pointed to Christ. We always focused to Christ. There was a moment where there was a manifestation in the room. Mm-hmm. And we just, we just 
kind of through our words grabbed everyone's chin and said, Hey, everyone like look back, Jesus, Jesus, everybody, <laughs> he's king. <laughs> yeah. And so contending consecration, Christ focused. Mm-hmm. And then I think the posture of leadership is that four C that I mentioned earlier is crushed mm-hmm. is we, we, if you look at any leader who was at the center of what God was doing, we have all experienced a crushing of our egos. We've hit the crisis that our competencies aren't good enough anymore. Mm-hmm. We've experienced a crushing, maybe circumstantially, you know, we, my wife and I lost our daughter and it crystallized our call and love for Jesus. I care about a lot of things way less. and I care about a few things way more. Mm. Um, COVID crushed universities. Just think about it. The president of Asbury had become a president right before COVID. That's Mm -hmm. like his first couple years of presidency is COVID and then outpouring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What a time. Wow. And uh, so I think how I describe it, I see a humble and gentle move of God marked by consecration, contending, Christ centered, and leaders who have been, who carried themselves through a crushing. Uh, so that there would be new wine and new outpouring. So love it. That's good. Uh, yeah. So Zach, I wonder is as we bring this to a close, if you would be willing to pray over your Alliance family, and uh, even pray for a fresh, powerful move of God's Spirit in our family, and that we would be willing to put ourselves in a posture to uh, to receive that. Yeah, I'd be honored to. Please. Well, Jesus, thank you so much that we come to you, even over a podcast that's mm-hmm. recorded as sons and daughters. Mm-hmm. So we lean into our sonship, our, our identity as children of God. And because we're children, you know, we can ask for bread and you don't give us a rock. And we ask for a serpent or a fish and you don't give us a serpent. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we can ask, seek, and knock. So we simply ask, seek, and knock mm-hmm. for fresh work in the Alliance family. Yes, Lord. And we pray, we ask that each individual that serves as a missionary, a pastor, or a leader, or attends our churches, we ask for them to have deep personal renewal in their deeper life. Mm-hmm. Would you meet them in a powerful way? We seek your face mm-hmm. for renewal and revival and outpouring uh, in our churches and among the nations. I just think of Al Stumbaugh crying out for the manifest presence to fall on our missionaries Mm -hmm. during our time in Mexico. I was so moved by that, Lord. Mm -hmm. We pray with Al and the people at Asbury that the manifest presence would fall upon the nations and and in our churches and in our worship sets and in our preaching. We we ask that we would be bold enough to linger and wait, that we would be a little less sensitive to the time frame, mm. and that we'd give ourselves oh, permission to experience. Fine. So we ask, seek, and we knock. We knock and say, God, incline your ear, lean towards us in the alliance. We are Acts 1-8 family. We are about reaching a nation so that we would bring back the king. So we seek that. We ask and we knock. And we pray, Jesus, that that we as a community, because of the calling on our lives to reach the nations, would be the most humble, humble faith family uh, 
that you can encounter. Yes. Mm-hmm. That that you would bring us low. Uh, oh Lord, have mercy. So you would be brought higher, Jesus. We we know that there is a power in radical humility in that Philippians two leadership of releasing what we'd be entitled to, mm. and taking the form of a servant. Would would everyone listening and everyone in leadership and everyone with opportunity and title in the alliance lean into radical humility lean into a lowering of oneself and ego so that you would be made higher so we would become vessels to receive an outpouring and jesus i pray that that would not bring glory to the alliance but would do the very thing that we've been crying out to do that it would be it would bring back the king amen Every single person would have a repeated opportunity to respond to the gospel all around the globe, mm-hmm. all around the nations, all around the cities, yes, all the people groups, every cultural taboo that mm-hmm. we're wrestling with yeah. in our churches. Jesus, would that be, would they be encountered by the love of God, the peace and gentle love of God and be wooed back to you, Jesus, so that we could bring back the King and experience mm-hmm. fullness in heaven. So as sons and daughters, we ask, seek, and knock. Yes. As sons and daughters, we ask for bread. Mm. We ask for fish that would be multiplied among the nations and yeah, in our God. churches. Mm-hmm. We pray a special blessing over my two brothers. Mm. Uh, that, and I just pray an anointing over their time in God's word mm. and time in prayer over their families, over their ministry. You, they experience your friendship. I pray that mm. over the alliance. We know that scripture says that we are no longer slaves, but friends. So would we live into our friendship and would you bring a new work among the alliance? Mm-hmm. Amen. 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 Thank you, brother. Thank you, Zach. That. Really appreciate your time with us and Absolutely. especially appreciate that prayer over us. And uh, may God continue to bless you as you continue to shepherd what God's doing there in uh, Asbury. Thank you, guys. Super grateful for you. Thank you. Amen. So, Alan. Uh, that was sacred time. It was sacred time. That's ways. a good word for it. It was. I was really appreciative of that. Yeah, and um, just appreciated Zach's insights, his humility. Yeah, I really appreciated that. Yeah, and uh, even some of his comments off offline to us that just reflect his humility and just wanting to be used by God, not wanting to be the centerpiece of this in any way, shape, or yeah. form. And yet, God has chosen to. Um, God has chosen to use them. Yeah, it was in- incredibly encouraging to me. And it's kind of a reminder of, in some ways, of something that happens on a regular basis, I think, for all pastors. You, you prepare a great message and you're really excited for God to use it, and it doesn't do much. And then you have a rough week and you feel like the sermon's not coming together, and then God uses it. Yeah. You know, and I think it's a good reminder to us that. It's not about us. That's right. That's right. <laughs> what a novel thought. Yeah, what no? Imagine that like we actually believe the deeper life stuff that we preach, you know? It's not about us. And I think this is a great example of that, you know? Yeah. Um, and you know, he could have used somebody different than Zach, or he could have preached one of his favorite messages he's preached of all time, and neither of those are true. And yet here we have this thing that is still echoing throughout the That's globe. Right. That's right. And I will love it. impact a generation for years and decades to come. Yeah. So yeah. amazing stuff because we have an amazing God. Yeah. So uh, next time on season 10, episode one. What?
we're starting a new season and we're doing something special, aren't we? We are. And this, this if, if your math is correct, yeah. and correct me if your math is not correct or my assessment of your math is not correct, this was the 100th episode. That's correct. That's the way I have counted it, yes. Podcast. I'm not known for my math skills. So we're going to take the 101st episode, yeah. season 10, episode one, to celebrate those first 100 episodes. And right now, as we sit here in this moment, we don't have a clue exactly what that will look like. Yeah. Yes, but we think we it's going to be some good uh, reflection time and uh, really appreciate you, our listeners, because Absolutely. you're why we do this. You're why we enjoy we sure do. doing this. We hope you benefit from us doing this. So thanks for being with us this time. Looking forward to talking next time about the first hundred episodes. Meanwhile, keep the faith. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Equipping You podcast. If you liked this episode, please consider subscribing and rating our channel. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org.